0: Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum. We took the last five months off, but we figured with with football actually being played this weekend, uh, it was time to come back and and talk about Syracuse and answer some questions. So we hope all of you are doing well and and staying safe and your families are healthy. And we thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, Syracuse opens the season Saturday at North Carolina at noon's going to be on ACC network last i checked there were 22 and a half point underdogs uh, but as julian and i were just kind of talking about it's it's not a great time to be a gambler because i feel like everyone probably wants to go bet after all this time off and yet it's really it's harder to predict than ever um, so just to kind of jump in you know big picture julian what are what are you expecting this year to be like as as teams play during the pandemic and the truncated off season and and the personnel limitations from um, uh, uh, social tracing. If there's a positive test, the people in close contact to them are out for 14 days in the ACC. Like what is this going to look
1: like? Yeah. So this season is going to be much different than anything we've ever seen before, obviously, in terms of play on the field. Um, I am going to liken this to the scrimmages that typically are seen on tape internally uh, when practice resumes in fall camp, they they're very raw guys are still learning the installs um, and I'm ex- so I'm expecting one a lot more penalties on the offensive side of the ball in terms of holding uh, slotted penalties on defense in terms of secondary holding uh, in terms of Syracuse's defense more blown coverage because you're, you're learning so much on the fly. Uh, that it's it's hard to keep all of that inside of a game plan. So I'm really I'm really expecting a simple game plan here uh, for Syracuse these first few weeks. But that's going to be across the board in every on every team. They got to keep their playbook small because they've had so little time to uh, to you know study and prepare during the spring and summer summer uh, practice sure. sessions. So one preparation is going to be small. And then two, uh, we're all concerned about the offensive line seeing a former fullback playing guard and all these injuries one that's because there was no training period. No one trained during the spring. No one trained during the summer. There was no off season uh, summer training or off season camp. Uh, so it, it, these guys are coming in out of shape and then all of a sudden you're expecting to go full division one speed. God's going to get hurt. Muscles are going to get pulled. There's going to be a ton of muscle injuries this year. I don't expect uh, very many position groups to get to the end of the season uh, with the stars that they came into the season with. Uh, this is, this is going to be one of these seasons where, yeah, as a gambler, uh, it could be really good. I mean, there's, there's going to be some opportunities where you say, hey, I don't think this secondary is ready. I think there's going to be some opportunities here or there for this offense or this defense. So uh, you just got to pick your spots. But early on, I- I'm really expecting some sloppy football across the board because installs have to have been slow. Game plans are going to be light. And players are just not at the level they should be uh, coming into week one. Yeah, the expectations are really
0: tricky, and I, I have to do predictions every year, and it's like, I, I know every, all the faults that Syracuse has. Like, I've, I I realize their offensive line is going to have trouble again, and the guard position is, is especially concerning. You still have issues with your quarterback depth, you know, you got a new defense, but they're probably personnel issues going on at just about every school. And the hard part is, like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening at North Carolina. I don't believe they put out a depth chart this week. Um, I could I could be wrong on that. But, you know, they, they may have significant issues too. You know, even Dabble Sweeney's complaining about his second team offensive line, which, of course, is a little ridiculous because you know if there's one team that's not going to be hit too right. hard depth-wise, it's Clemson. But you just don't know what's going on anywhere. I mean, team, teams could lose a couple key players – and adjust their scheme based on it, or at least their game plan and and their tendencies. So it's, it's really difficult for me to kind of expect anything, (laughs) but you know, with that kind of said, let's uh, let's transition to the Syracuse defense a little bit. We talked a lot about the three, three, five when Tony white was hired. Um, Mm -hmm. we, We haven't, physically gotten to see anything since then, but we've seen yeah. a depth chart solidified, you know, we've, we've heard Dino Babers hype up his secondary as he should with Andre Cisco, Trill Williams and a Malfonwu and express some cautious optimism about his defensive line, you know, strictly on that side of the ball, Julian, what are you kind of going to be looking for early on? What's going to be the key to, you know, not maybe not giving up some of those big plays and, and even forcing some of your own as, as, opposing offenses deal with personnel limitations or, or um, you know, shortened preparation?
1: Yeah. So first you want to think about what is the three-three-five defense good for? What, what is some of the value in installing a defense like this? And one of those things is you, you can adjust very easily to uh, a spread offense whether that's a two by two formations, two receivers on the left, two receivers on the right, a three by one formation, three receivers on the right, one receiver on the left, just, you know, Playing so many spread offenses in the ACC, my initial thought was, oh, man, it's going to be really great for Syracuse because the thinking is really taken out of it uh, when you're in a 3-3-5 defense. I remember when we played in Coach Schaefer's defense and we would go that third down three-three-five. That was my favorite defense as a young player because there was very little thinking. And chances are I was in cover three. And we only had to see, okay, do we have two receivers on this side or three or one? You know, and once you get that number, it's very easy to line up and just go ahead and play. And there was always a very simple coverage behind it because typically a blitz was in front of it. And that was more so because of the third down situation. But sure. thinking about that for Syracuse's defense this year, if, you, if being aligned is very easy, I want to see how they line up are they lining up quickly? Are they communicating on the, these little things as a fan? You can see as well, like, are they lining up? Do they seem confused? Because that's one of the most simple details of a three, three, five is you're, it's very easy to adjust to what an offense gives you. They line up. Okay. Boom. We got, we got boom. And it, it's just so much easier because you got five guys on the back end, just looking at it. And then the defensive line, they're lining up. Boom. Great transition. And for the defensive line, Syracuse is very undersized I think at that position which is fine usually you're saying oh you want to have big fat guys in there you know thinking about a 3-4 defense in the NFL you want to have you know three you know big nose tackle like sizes in the gaps so that they can fill those gaps take up two guys and then have your linebackers in the back those four guys coming up rushing and making plays well in a three through five defense it's a little bit de- different in that in college, if you line guys up, head up, now you give them a two-way go. They can hit one gap or the other. You know, there, there's two options, and, which is valuable there because instead of lining up in a gap in a bigger, stronger offensive lineman who knows where you're going to end up going, he can just go ahead and wash you out of the play, right? And that Now that you have a three through five where you can line them up, head up, it gives you a little bit more of an advantage or at least a better chance of winning the down. When you're lined up head up on a guy because now you can go one way or the other. He has to think about which way you're going, and it gives you the, the ability to either dip and rip under him as a smaller guy, use that under butt like that lower body strength. So there's some advantages here of a three-through five defense that I really think could uh help Syracuse. And then and then uh the, we talked about the three through five and the blitz packages. You can confuse a quarterback, and you got a a UNC quarterback. He's still young. He's a sophomore, and I think he had an interview not too long ago talking about he's trying to learn defense. That's what every sophomore says uh, when they're coming. The new thing is they want to learn how to. They're not going to learn that to this senior year, right? But so there's opportunities as a defense with this three through five, and you have so many talented players, you know, in that back eight to move around and confuse quarterbacks that there's going to be opportunities, but as simple. And so as early as we're into this thing, you want to see them do the simple things. And if that starts, then, okay, now we can start to look at how, uh, how well they're starting to do some of the more advanced parts of that, that, that kind of defense. So I just want to see if they're lining up correctly, if they're in the right place, are they covering it down? Are passes being completed inside of six yards. If that's happening, then I'm saying, okay, great. Now we can move on to other parts of defense and see how well they're doing.
0: Yeah, the one thing I'll add to that is, and this is pretty obvious, but tackling. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming teams have tackled less during preseason camp to yeah. to mitigate some yeah. of those injury concerns. I wouldn't blame any coach for doing it, but, it, you know, if you're expecting a simple game plan on offense and, and you're running something simple on defense, then if you know what's coming, you got to make the tackles. And then if you exactly. make those tackles, like you said, you put teams in third down and and you can use those defensive backs as playmakers, right? We've seen – Andre Cisco and Trill Williams train at multiple positions this year. Andre spent a lot of time working at boundary safety early in the year and has moved back to Rover, which which moves around a little bit of deep third, uh, some zone coverages, and, and coming up occasionally, whereas the boundary safety is going to be involved in a lot of plays, a lot of the run fits, a lot of the perimeter passes. So um, I'm really interested to see how they use Andre. Are you moving him every series? Is he like an early down guy who you want up front, who you drop back in passing downs? Is it based on the personnel you're facing um, and same with true Williams. He's playing free safety is what he's listed out on the depth chart. But if you go against a team where they have two really good outside receivers, do do you prefer to move him there? Um, mm-hmm. And some, a lot of that hinges on stopping the run. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's what Syracuse is going to try and do against North Carolina. And, Jeff Cantonarku and Mike Jones and Stefan Thompson is right now the a freshman is the first team strong side linebacker. Although I mm-hmm. do think we'll see a lot of Steve Linton. How well those guys do, I think will will allow uh Tony White to to maybe get a little more aggressive with his playmakers and, and putting them into place. Um, flipping sides of the ball on offense. We talked about the line all last year, and I mean, you know, I know those right guys back. are sick of hearing <laughs> it, but we got to talk about them and 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 i'll give i'll give them some credit here i think they have two very good tackles in aaron service and matthew bergeron bergeron is one of the guys who really impressed during camp whenever i would kind of talk to someone on background he was a name that popped up as he's kind of always physically had the ability but he's just getting comfortable there you know i think i want to say he had five or six starts at right tackle last year after ryan alexander left the team starting with that florida state game and for a true freshman who was thrown into the fire, like he, he really did all right. Um, but now he's he's comfortable. And the, the matchups with Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson have paid off a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think they really like their tackles right now. It's, it's what's going on in the middle that is concerning. Uh, Carlos Veterello has, uh, I believe, four games of, of starting at center under his belt. Hopefully he's worked out some of those snapping issues and maybe gotten a little more comfortable there because they'll, they'll need him to be steady with the situation at guard. I mean, right now, like you said, they're starting Chris Elmore, the tight end, fullback, defensive tackle type, uh, and Darius Tisdale, a junior college addition from two years ago, who's weighing in at 340 pounds right now. And Dino has kind of hinted at some guys maybe not having the conditioning uh, to, to do what they want to do theoretically, you know, go fast mm-hmm. and, and run a lot of plays. Now you've got to move the ball to be able to run a lot of plays, and that, these things kind of go hand in hand. Uh, so I'm interested to see what they do there. You know, what, what are you kind of looking for from the offensive line early this year? And, you know, how, how, I don't know if you can read into this, but like how motivated do you think those guys are? Like we've been talking about them a ton and and so is the rest of the media. Like they have been very much in the public eye. And, uh, that's something that Dino's has kind of hinted at that they, you know, they know that the eyes are going to be on them.
1: Yeah. So it's actually really funny. Uh, growing up uh, we always had this coach in Little League that would say offensive linemen never get any attention and that was I kept hearing that line up through high school they would say to the offensive line like we never get attention we never get attention and then in college we'd, every offensive line coach that I would hear is like, we're not we're not special we're not getting attention we got to go do our jobs and you know do the dirty work well now you're getting all types of attention. <laughs> <laughs> much very much unwanted but yeah, I mean, if, if you, you know, hear, hear that, you know, constantly hearing yourself not, you know, in the, in the best light, I'm sure there's a bit of a chip on their shoulder to, to get this thing right. Um, whether that's motivating or not, I don't know, you know, the, the characters on, on, across the line. But, I mean, I, I again, think that this year is, is going to be difficult. And you touched on the point that I think it's going to be the most important for Syracuse's offense this, offense this year, is are they going to be in shape to run that kind of scheme Uh, through like up and down the field because if you have guys offensive linemen are always the most out of shape always when they come into (laughs) summer camp I don't know what it is what they do I don't know if they're more prone to drink beer or not or whatever the case may be but they always come in relatively out of shape during the summer so now I know they came in out of shape during the fall during fall camp and that they're probably not at their season's peak coming into week one so I'm concerned about where Syracuse's offense is going to be in terms of the speed that they run, because that's supposed to be their advantage, going up and down the field fast, getting defenses yep. tired. If all of a sudden they're slowing down to, you know, a regular pace that most offenses run are, are running to, then what, what event is, is, is are we taking a step back now? Is, is that something that we need to be concerned about? So uh, I, I'm concerned primarily with uh, how this offensive line is conditioned this year, if they're going to be ready, and then, two. You've got a fullback playing guard. The injuries across the board are worrisome. Um, and that, it kind of speaks to what we would, you know, open this podcast about uh, is that they have not had the spring or the summer and that injuries are going to continue to be an issue. The teams are talking about depth because, one, the offensive line depth in, across the country is always a concern for coaches. It's poor in the NFL. It's going to be poor in college, no matter how great a recruiter you are, your youngest offensive linemen are never going to be as good as your older, more established offensive linemen because there's so much to learn and so much that uh, body development that goes into an offensive lineman. So your second team is always going to be a stress point if you're a coach, right? So now we're worried as, as Sy- for Syracuse because they're moving a bunch of guys around and there's probably going to be multiple injuries across you know the offensive line this year. So I'm expecting maybe not as poor a season as last year, Uh, you know, prolonged because of how how many injuries there were. And I think that was a really special case of trying to move guys around. But uh, this year I'm hoping that guys can stay healthy, but I wouldn't hold my breath thinking that things are going to be, you know, consistent throughout the year because injuries are very likely to happen this year. And the way that the offensive line is starting out, um, it, it concerns me. So, One, I'm hoping that ball, you know, some of the points that we talked about last year, getting the ball out quickly, uh, rolling the quarterback outside of the pocket. I think I hope these are things that have been practiced and thought about and really tweaked after seeing it last year because it's going to have to be a staple of the offense this year if the offensive line stays in the condition that it is in right now.
0: Yeah, two quick thoughts on that before going to predictions. Uh, I think there might be a guard rotation. I think they've got six linemen who – they trust to an extent, like obviously that line moves of, of who do you trust? Cause you have to play some of these guys, but uh, you yeah. know, I think Patrick Davis, if healthy is probably just as, just as good as Chris Elmore at guard. I mean, I'm sure they have strengths and, and differences. Elmore is probably a very good run blocker. Um, whereas the pass yeah. protection stuff is, is fairly new to him. I know he played it in middle school, but uh, things, things change a little bit. So I'll be interested to see if those two rotating with Darius Tisdale and you know, to, to anyone who's out of shape, I, you know, you will say this, because of the offseason and the pandemic, they may not have had the training resources they normally do. If you're a guy who lives in the city, you know, who's who's going to knock someone for staying inside their apartment because they're not comfortable going out during the height of a pandemic? So, you know, and, yeah, maybe the offensive linemen are drinking some beer, too. But, you know, I, it's it's been a rough year for all of us. And, I, frankly, I think probably <laughs> some people on the team who are surprised that they're even playing football right now. But yeah. – but it's concerning because if you go out there and try and put them in a tempo offense, yeah, injuries are more It's likely. not going to look very good. I mean, right now their third tackle is Mark Petri, who's listed at 265 pounds. That is not going to work, you know. And, and there's a lot of injuries going on in that line that, that are, you know, we can't officially say are injuries. But, you know, Dakota Davis was hurt in the spring. If he was plugged in here as, as your first-team guard, which you would expect him to be, that's a big difference. You know, then you're not starting Chris Elmore and you actually have two guys who, who you like, who have some depth. And uh, to be fair, Patrick Davis can probably play tackle. So we'll see what's going on. But uh, as, as far as maybe adjustments they put in, I do think Sterling Gilbert, the first year offensive coordinator spent a lot of time thinking about that. Uh, I, to me, it's just, you gotta, you've got to find speed to kind of counteract some of that pressure. Jawar Jordan, the redshirt freshman running back checks that box and, I wouldn't be surprised if Tommy DeVito ran a little bit more this year. I mean, you can't keep running RPOs where there's, there's no option. That's not going to work. And, uh, and he's got the speed to do it. And in a a year like this, you kind of just got to play the chips you have. There's, there's no real sake and holding on to them. So um, we'll see. I'm really interested to see how much they run Tommy this year. And, And I understand why they didn't last year and, if he's hurt again, then, that, then it becomes a different story. But, you know, he's obviously healthy right now, and maybe that's something you can use to to make pass rushers think a little bit before pinning their ears back and coming downhill. Uh, let's go to predictions. We can do, I guess, season first, and then we'll do North Carolina. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about my prediction. Like, I don't know. I could see, like, to me, the best-case scenario is the team goes maybe, like, seven and four. Mm-hmm but I could see them going two and nine. Like if you get those injuries in the first two weeks, I mean, Pittsburgh's defensive line is excellent, even without Jalen Twyman. If Tommy DeVito gets hurt in week two at Pittsburgh, I don't know if they'll be favored again for the rest of the year. I mean, you have the, the Liberty game, but even Georgia Tech in, in week three. I mean, that's – it could I – could, I can easily see a scenario in which this unravels quickly, um, as is the case for a bunch of teams in the country, quite frankly. But um, I picked them to go five and six my thinking was like i said i i know kind of the flaws that syracuse has but without knowing what's going on at the other schools i can't just assume that all of these flaws are going to be exploited and, and there won't be be some of that on the other side you know you could come into any given week one of your opponents could be down 15 players it's like an entirely different team so yeah. um so i kind of hedged my bet a little bit there but yeah i'm saying five and six and uh, I think a lot of times we think of this in like the bowl eligibility context, that's out the window because two of the major conferences aren't playing. Like you can go three and eight and get invited to a bowl this year. So uh, it's more just like a straight pick the motivation to get to six wins is, is like you're a winning team. So I guess there's some of that there, but it's not the same as like you're trying to punch your ticket. Um, you kind of have a, a win-loss thought, Julian?
1: Yeah. So I was thinking Syracuse looks to me like a, about average team, which, which pushed them at, you know, about – what was it four and seven five and six to me uh, I don't I, I just see it on good teams that's the thing is you're seeing good teams on, on this schedule but you're not sure what they're gonna be come week seven eight nine and those right. could turn into 50 fifty games and all of a sudden Syracuse comes out you know winning and all of a sudden now they're a seven and four team so uh, I, I, but I've seen them I, my thinking is they they seem like an average four hundred five hundred team um, but just because of their offensive line issues and what they put out there on tape and what teams can, you know, eventually game plan for, and the fact they're putting in a new defense with no time to prepare and install, uh, that leads me to believe that they're probably going to be on the lower end of of that 500 side. So four and seven seems to me about that sweet spot for Syracuse this year. Um, But you're hoping for opportunities that arise with teams not quite being at full capacity and then taking advantage of a 50-50 opportunity
0: yeah i mean i think getting getting through those first two games healthy carolina and Pitt, and hey if you can sneak out a win great but but even if you get through without any major injuries that's all right you've got a few winnable games coming up um and i I know that's (laughs) certainly not how they're thinking about it inside the locker room but right 22 and a half point underdog you know getting out (laughs) of the game healthy is is not bad
1: that's almost what you know the crazy part is you know we say that like oh they don't say that internally they don't say that internally but I think back to um twenty what was it twenty fifteen LSU. Yeah, uh, that's all they said. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Buller all week was like, "We got to make sure Cordy gets out of this way. <laughs> wake up if, if you can make a tackle, go low." <laughs> <laughs> like, Whoa, what? But yeah, yeah. So we think that you know they're always on the hurrah, but no, they they taste a little bit of reality too. And I think that's going to be an emphasis inside the locker room as well as to be smart. Uh, we need you guys. We need bodies all year. Um, you know, don't take those risks that you don't have to and, you know, be smart in the field uh, when you can. So yeah. there's definitely going to be, you know, uh, internally guys saying, hey, let's let's remind ourselves what we're doing here. We've got a long season.
0: For sure. Um, Carolina game, I've got UNC winning 34-20. It's kind of picking numbers out of a hat. I, I kind of went yeah. into the year thinking – the games were going to be relatively low scoring. I guess comparatively, I think – I mean, you would know better than me. My expectation is it's easier to get a defense set up not to fail than it is to get an offense set up not to fail. And if, if yeah. that's going to be the case, games will slow down a little bit. But North Carolina has got some really good athletes, and, and they like to they like to throw the ball. And Syracuse, I, I, if you play up tempo, in theory you have more possessions. And I, I – it's still under the total, 34 to 20. But that would be Syracuse covering, I do think – the, the offense is going to have some success. And mm-hmm. I think the defense will have a bit of an element of surprise in where are they using their playmakers. And maybe you can throw Williams or Andre Sisco or even someone up front make something to, to make the game interesting. But I just think Carolina's got too much firepower. And over the course of the game, you know, those those young linebackers of Syracuse are going to have a hard time yeah. making plays on early downs to put the defense in enough position to succeed. So I, I think okay. it'll be a close game for a while, and then Carolina will pull away. But I don't know.
1: <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. So, so, <laughs> so the way I, I'm looking at this is, uh, one, I don't think there are many points that can going to be put up on the board. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a 20-6 to six game, 21-7. Uh, you know, not many points and eventually a couple scores at the end of the game kind of put it away. Um, right. but the way I'm seeing this for Syracuse is if they could shut down the run, I think there's going to be opportunity just because yeah. UNC is playing a different kind, like the three through five is it's not a, a primary defense for a lot of programs, so when they're looking for tape. Luckily for Syracuse, there's no tape on them either, right? So if you can find a way to shut down the run for the majority of the game, I would say if you can get through three quarters of keeping them inside of 100 yards and shutting down a few first and second down runs, try to force them into maybe we want to throw the ball a little bit more, uh, go to that read option, you can shut that down. I think that gives Syracuse a chance uh, because on the back end, trying to throw, this, throw the football against five DBs and you don't understand their coverage situation every down, and it's going to look, typically is gonna look different almost every time out. That's very confusing. One for a quarterback and two for receivers because they're because they're looking for space in college in college football, wide receivers don't typically run uh their twelve, ten yard route and then, you know, Look for they're looking for space they're looking for nice. spots open inside of a zone and if you don't know where those are you're gonna be at maybe two three four yards away from you're supposed to be now your quarterback's throwing to a spot you're not in that spot Andre Cisco is and we've seen that pretty often sure. in, against Syracuse's defense so in that case I really I see there's uh, space for uh opportunity in Syracuse's defense and if if I'm a secondary player for them I'm really trying to mix up these coverages because one it One, you're going to have a very simple game plan, but if you can make it look more complicated than it is, you're still giving yourself an advantage because on the other side, they haven't had very much time to prepare for you as well. So it's a little bit of a mind game here, but to to, to the point of uh, making a a prediction, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, 21-7 makes a lot of sense to me just because I don't expect too many points to be on the board, and I think eventually someone pulls away in that fourth quarter.
0: Yeah. I started with a score like that. And then I saw the total, I want to say it's like in the low sixties. I was like, I just can't, I can't do it. Vegas knows better than me, but maybe they don't. I really wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. That's, that's around where I started like 24, 10 or somewhere like that, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Um, all right. We've got a bunch of Twitter questions. Thanks everyone for sending them in uh, Paul Edson, Chris Bleich. That's the question. Uh, so Chris is the guard transfer from Florida he is still awaiting his uh, word from the NCAA and whether he's going to be granted immediate eligibility. I know a lot of Syracuse fans are not happy with this, uh, and that's valid. I'm not here to defend the NCAA. I will say my understanding is this not this is not a black and white situation. You see a lot of other waivers getting approved, maybe a family hardship waiver or or something that's that's kind of cut and dry. Like you look at. Um, Oh shoot, the defensive end from McNeese State who who transferred to Syracuse, right? He uh Cody Rasco. He was on a team that had a postseason ban due to APR and he was in good academic standing. That's in and out like that. It's 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 a black and white situation. Now Chris basically he basically said this when he announces his, his transfer to Syracuse is that he was basically forced to play through injuries at Florida to some extent. And that's a little bit harder to investigate for anybody. So for the NCAA, there's probably some more back and forth there. I don't know all the intricate details of that. You know, Chris is basically elected to keep that private and, and he hasn't been publicly criticizing the NCAA at all. So, um, so I don't know all the details there, but that's kind of the situation. I don't know when it'll be resolved, but I will say this. He underwent off-season surgery. He hasn't been pictured practicing or or videoed practicing in any of the stuff SU Athletics sent. Um, I don't know how conditioned he is. And Dino has said there's going to be a couple guys who who they'll get back midseason potentially. To me, that's very clearly Dakota Davis and potentially Chris Bleich if he's approved. So, um, you know, that adjusts the time frame, right? Like if, if he was cleared by the NCAA, he may not even be ready to play right now. Uh, But that's kind of what we know about Chris. I understand it's still a frustrating situation. It's still a long time for a waiver process to go on. And, um, you know, given some of the issues Syracuse has had in the past with that, I I certainly understand the frustration. Uh, James Austin, great friend of the program. Great to hear you guys are back. Will Tommy DeVito benefit from a true QB coach? Um, He's got a couple of questions. So we'll start with that. Um, I think the answer is yes. But uh, you know, what do you kind of think about that, Julian, just having Sterling Gilbert there? And, and where do you see those areas for maybe development that, that someone with that actual perspective of being a quarterback can provide?
1: Yeah. So I've always kind of had a thing where if you haven't played before or you haven't been at that level, or if you haven't had that perspective before of being in that position, you typically coach based on what you think it should look like and rather than what it actually is and, and coaching with a bit of reality to it right so the benefit of coaching with or having a qb coach who's been in that situation before who's been inside of a similar offense who knows you know the ins and outs of it he may say hey they, typically you're gonna hear put it here but that's never there you got to <laughs> go here with you know you know but there's yeah. there, there's a little bits of you know he has that reality to him that knows okay this is what it's coached in a, a perfect scheme to look like but here, you really want to push the ball a little bit this way so that it gets there. You know, there's sure. a little bit of that reality in there that helps you as a player to know, okay, this isn't going to actually work out this way. Let me do this instead to, you know, make a play. And and it it it's really valuable because uh, there was I can't remember now. I can't feel bad. I can't remember his name. Uh, but Coach Shafe brought in a guy uh, who had played with the Patriots for X amount of years. Uh, he was like a you know third string guy, but he you know had a lot of reps. Um, And when I had moved to safety with Syracuse, he was kind of coaching me up on, you know, a few things in terms of the position that I I hadn't played a position in two years. So I was, you know, pretty new. And uh, Coach Reed, our secondary coach, who he was a corner, I think, in his career, he would say, you're supposed to open up this way and get there. And like, okay, cool. But then this guy would come in and say, hey, open up a little bit flatter. You know, you're supposed to take that angle, take a little bit of flatter and you'll get there half a second earlier, but you'll make the play. All of a sudden, took that angle, made the play. Coach Reed is ecstatic. Yeah, that's exactly how it's supposed to look. And it's like, all right, dude. But point being, for the quarterback, I'm sure there's going to be very similar examples to that, where it's coached one way, like in a perfect world, this is how it's supposed to look. But having that guy with experience that can give you that little touch of reality and how the ball should go and where it should go and how the offense will actually work, that's really valuable for a quarterback and. Uh, that's what I'm, I'm hoping for DeVito this year is that little extra step into how it's supposed to be or going from how it's supposed to be to dealing with what it is and then working within that.
0: Yeah, that's that's well said, I think. Uh, another question. Does the amount of uh, redshirt freshmen, true freshmen, the two deep equate to better recruiting? Uh, you could kind of answer that either way. I don't think we really know in, until we see them out there. I mean, obviously, if there were better players in that position, they they would be on the two deep so you can you can look at it either way so part of it's a, a product of injuries especially on the offensive line and um you know maybe maybe issues with recruiting particularly at linebacker right we've gone seniors 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 and now you've got freshmen out there that's not how it's supposed to work uh so mm-hmm. some of both but you know at the same time you've got to give credit to a guy who rises up the depth chart like i look at justin Barron at outside receiver i mean he's there. He's their fourth outside receiver right now. He beat, he beat out some guys. I mean, Courtney Jackson's impressed, uh, you know, at, at slot receiver. Um, Jawar Jordan, you know, a great recruiting win there. Uh, so it's it's some of both. And we're not really going to be able to fully contextualize this year's depth chart until we actually <clears> see who's playing and who's doing what. And, you know, you had guys who are opting in, opting out. Um, Or or maybe stop practicing, start practicing. You know, guys who didn't know if they wanted to play for a while. There there were a bunch of people weighing their decisions, including Chris Elmore. You know, Chris Elmore almost didn't play, and then he decided to come back. So, you know, we just don't know. We don't know if someone missed a week of preparation, for instance, two weeks before the season or or was out for a few days, and now they come back and it's like, well, you didn't get full prep, so we're going to put you on the two line, and and we'll see how you do. So it's it's some of both. I think Dino and his staff have recruited slightly better. Um, than, than Scott Schaefer's staff did, but they're dealing with the same depth problems. And, and that means, you know, a, a slight improvement isn't going to take away from the inherent disadvantage you're at in Syracuse. Um, last one from James Will Rhino sacrifice the team, hurt huge draft stock? Um, respect to Chris Elmore, I'm not sure what his draft stock looks like. I will say he's certainly sacrificed what he initially wanted as his college career. Like he was a defensive tackle coming out of high school. Everyone else offered him as a defensive tackle. When he came in, you know, Syracuse basically said, hey, well, you know, we want to use you early at fullback because we think he can contribute there and we'll see where it goes. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. And that's pretty much what he's done. You know, he pitched in as a reserve defensive tackle last year and now he's being asked to move to guard and he's doing that. So, you know, there may be no better team player there than Chris Elmore. And, I mean, his – the ability to learn different positions and be trusted out there, even in those situations yeah. says a lot about a guy. I mean, that's really, really impressive. So, you know, I, I, wish him all the best. You know, I, I'm sure he wants to play in the NFL, but I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't know that he had a significant enough draft stock that this is hurting it. It it may even show a team what he can do, his ability to learn if you want to find a role as some kind of special team or, or something like that. Um, and We'll see what happens. You know, maybe the, the guards come back and he ends up playing defensive tackle. Uh, if McKinley Williams gets hurt, I guarantee you this, they're going to be looking for somebody to put exactly. in the middle there because he's as close to irreplaceable as there is outside of DeVito in service. Uh, going down the list, Stephen, uh, what a strange season like it's certainly going to be. Do you see several linemen recruited such as Red or Kadir White getting significant snaps? They are actually linemen after all, but certainly no offense to Rhino. Uh, I'll just say that a lot of guys are injured. We can't – I mean, I've been told a bunch of things on background. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can't officially say that a lot of those guys are injured, but the staff really likes him. <laughs> like, Anthony Red is a good football player. And, uh, you know, I think they still hope that he plays when he is able to. Kadir, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure. There was a picture that came out from SU Athletics of him not practicing or from standing and watching drills, so I don 't know if that's an injury or or, or what the deal is. You know obviously, he was really highly touted coming out of high school as a four star guy and and he has not panned out thus far um the The longer down the line you get, the more unlikely it seems like he will, but again, without having seen practices i I don't want to pass a sweeping judgment on somebody because this is a weird year and, you know, I don't know what anybody's last six months have been like, but it's a fair question. It certainly is. And it's it's been frustrating not to be able to report who's actually injured because that contextualizes why people are on the depth chart. Um, Kyle, uh, now that we know the reason for Tyrell Richards' absence from the depth chart, do you still think he plays this season? I don't think we know the reason for his, his absence from the depth chart. And, that, you know, uh, I'll get – I'll I'll say this. A couple other outlets have reported that Tyrell got a a DWAI last month. Uh, That is true. We have that information. And and more than that, we elected not to write the story for uh, a number of reasons, basically. But but newsworthiness and judgment and, um, you know, with the information that we have, we made that decision. And I think as a a younger writer, I may have decided to write it. But with respect to Tyrell, I'll I'll leave the rest of it out. But I, I don't think any line has been drawn from that incident to him not being on the depth chart is the bottom line, right? Like even if someone gets suspended for two games because of an incident that we deem not to be newsworthy, it's newsworthy because they can't play for two weeks. Um, So we don't know why Tyrell was not listed. Um, I know he has been dinged up during camp. I don't know if it's directly related to injury. Uh, I don't know. I I, I would have expected him to be in that depth chart. I will say that. I think he is – one of their better inside linebackers. I think he potentially would have started at middle linebacker where Jeff can is who is now, but we can't fully contextualize that. So I'm hesitant to really say anything more than that. We'll see if he travels to North Carolina and uh, it's definitely something that we want to ask Dino after the game. So certainly understand where there's a lot of interest there. Um, and I, I will say this, the athletic reported that he opted out on the season and Tyrell responded to them saying that he didn't know that. So, I would be wary of making any assumptions based on what's currently been reported about his status for the season. Uh, Shelly House, Elmore can likely transition fine as a run blocker, but how well do you think he'll do in pass protection? Very good point, one I just brought up. Uh, that requires a lot of different techniques than he's used at fullback or tight end. Um, any kind of thoughts on that, Julian, and maybe what the learning process would be like having lived with a couple offensive linemen?
1: Yeah, so as a new guy coming in, he's like a, he's like a freshman lineman when it comes to understanding pass protection in that position, right? You know, as a fullback, you're typically always, always going downhill to make a block. And then in pass protection from that position, you're getting a chance to see who's coming up, you know who's going to come free, and then you can make a play or make a block on that particular guy coming up when you're on the line, it's much different in terms of learning a technique on how you're supposed to pass block, where you place your hands, how you move your feet. Um, there's much more technique involved and that. There's going to be a learning curve for that. Um, there's a reason, you know, talk about this a lot. There's a reason that offensive linemen don't play early. And it's one technique to size. Both of those things are working against Elmore here. So I think he's going to have quite the learning curve in terms of uh, understanding where he's supposed to be. I think, I think, Coach, we were still running his own blocking system. I don't think he's going to change that. So, yeah. still has a zone blocking system, which makes it a little bit easier. Like, you're, blo- you're not blocking uh, a gap. You're blocking, you know, an area. So, that should make it a little bit easier for him, both run and pass. But uh, I- I'm anticipating this being pretty difficult for him early on, uh, especially at live game speed. Um, even without fans in, in, the-, in the arena, um, scrimmages, and I don't know what it is, but when you have, like, real uniform on – some For some reason, it's a little bit different. I don't know what it is. Mentally, I guess it shifts you a little bit. But sure. when you've got the actual uniform on in a game scenario, uh, and, and there's something on the line in terms of wins and losses, the game speeds up a little bit. And I think that there's going to be a few growing pains for him early on. And if he stays there, you know, five, six, seven games, I think he'll adjust – You know, into a position where he's a valuable starter, but early on, I think it's going to be a little bit difficult for him because there is such a learning curve on the offensive line. The closer you are to the ball, the harder it is to play.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm really interested to see how he does. It's 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 pretty fascinating to be honest. Um, Dino's burner, welcome back, Dino. Thanks for uh, thanks for following. Thanks for listening. Breakout candidates for offense and defense. I'll start on offense. I mentioned Matthew Bergeron as one guy. Uh, this is kind of a cop-out because he's the first team running back now, but Jawar Jordan, he's someone I would have picked at the start of, the start of all this before we knew Abdul Adams and Jarvion Howard had opted out. Um, he's fast. Like they don't have a lot of guys who are so fast that they can change the way defenses have to approach them. They can change the angles that the defensive backs have to take. They can make, make a, a guy think about what he's doing before he has to do it. And Jawar has all that speed. Uh, and then some um, – Andre Sisco said he really liked the way Jawar has been running inside the tackles. He's got very good vision, and then he, he's able to kind of hit the hole and then go. You know, he has the quick acceleration, and that's given the defense some trouble. So, I mean, I think you'd hope your starting running back would be a, a breakout player, but, but I got him listed. Um, and then I'll just say I think the tight end room as a whole – Like, I think they've got two really, really good tight ends in Aaron Hackett and Luke Benson. Um, Aaron Hackett went down to the Fort Fort Lauderdale area to train with Anquan Bolden this offseason. Spent a lot of time working on his footwork and his his body angles and body positioning, kind of with the understanding that he's going to be playing against a lot of defensive backs who are faster than him, and he needs to find ways to create space in, in tight quarters. Um, he's always been very savvy as, as kind of an RPO type blocker. He, he looks the same when he's blocking and when he's going out for a route. And and we've seen, um, defensive players matching up against him have to kind of be hesitant. So I think he's done a really good job of, of adapting his skill set to what they've asked him to do. Uh, And then Luke Benson's basically a wide receiver in a tight ends body. I mean, he's got the speed to, to burn linebackers and even give safeties a challenge. And now that he's got the system under his belt, I I think they trust him with a larger percentage of the plays. So I'm expecting a decent amount of 12 personnel this year. And uh, if I'm Sterling Gilbert, you know, especially if if my offensive line isn't doing so great, you want to find ways to utilize those tight ends. And sure, they're going to have to stay in and block some. But, you know, I I think, again, you can offset some of that pressure by finding ways to use them, especially Benson with his speed. Uh, What do you think, Julian, offensively of a breakout candidate?
1: Um, looking at Anthony Keeley, the wide receiver, uh, you know, getting a fresh start this year. I got to see him when he was a freshman, right? And early on, uh, him and Andre Sisco were my two – I think this was two years ago. So it was him and Andre Sisco. I'm like, oh, man, those two guys are going to be really good. And I think, I, you know, I threw a couple tweets out there about him. Um, and the reason I was so excited about him as a freshman was, one, he had already been working with that, that starting group for a little while. I don't know if that was yeah. an injury reason or not. Um, but he was working with the ones for a bit. And, then two, my thing with receivers – like, if I could coach, I'd probably coach receivers. But my thing with receivers is – he had this way about creating separation, like the way that he would get to his breaks, uh, the way that he would find a way to get out of his cuts. Like I just thought that's what makes a receiver. I think I think that's the, one of the most valuable things you can do. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how big you are. If you can get in and out of your routes with precision, I think that makes you a much more valuable receiver. And you can see it across college. You can see it across the NFL. You have to be big. You have to be strong. But if you can get in and out of your routes, you can play at any level. And I think that's what I saw from him early on as a freshman. I I think that things that kept him off the field have to be size, guys that were older and ahead of him already. So I'm looking forward to seeing him play uh, and finally get a chance because I think the technique was there and the ability was there as a young guy. I don't know how he's developed since. I'm sure he's added mats. I'm sure he's, you know, caught a lot more footballs. hands have improved. So – I'm just – he's kind of like my breakup guy in terms of I'm excited to see what he does. You know, yeah. I, I enjoy seeing new receivers in Coach Favors' offense because we know guys who get one year in it and put up 1,000 yards, go to the NFL. So, I just want to see, is he another guy that breaks out and turns into a player uh, because we've seen – last year we saw guys, they were pretty good, but not quite the breakout that we had seen. Uh, You know, years past with, you know, Custis and Steve Ishmael and those guys. So uh, hoping that he turns into a play because what I saw from early on as a young guy uh, showed a lot of potential. Um, On the other side of the ball, uh, breakout guy. This isn't fair because we've seen him play well already. But uh, Ify Melifani, the corner, um, I think he's someone who had, again, amazing technique when he was healthy. Uh, there were plays that were making me just you know tingling a little bit on the inside. So I'm like, oh my gosh, he's doing it. He's doing it. Like just you know, seeing little things that you know guys are always they say, oh, he's got this potential because he has this ability or he has this size. Well, we've seen if he use that 6'3 frame. He's over 210 now. So I'm like, dog, oh, this guy. And the cool part is they Syracuse, or, yeah, Syracuse has three NFL, you know, DBs in that uh, in that group right now. Tro's going to NFL, Andre's going in NFL, and if he just based on size. He's going to the NFL. So to see them operate within that, I'm really excited to see what he does as a corner because when you've got so much congestion on the inside, you're going to have nine guys inside the hashes. The natural thing for quarterbacks and offensive coordinators to do is to hit the outside. Garrett Williams, I think, is the other starter. Yep. He'll probably get some looks – um, early and if he can hold up they're gonna just start going back and forth and trying to work what they can uh, so I'm really interested to see what Melo can do because he doesn't have that much tape out there he's not it's not like he's an established corner um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do uh, especially in that 335 because there's going to be so many zones back there he gets to use that height and that length at, and have be visual on the quarterback so I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him this year so I'm looking forward to see what he does. Those, those are my two guys, Anthony Keeley and Nathan LaFontaine. Yeah, good
0: picks. Credit to Keeley to for beating out Ed Hendricks early in camp, who's super talented receiver who's been hurt. And I wouldn't be surprised if both of them got some looks opposite Taj early this year. Um, and then, yeah, if he's just got to stay healthy. I mean, he's had nagging hamstring injuries the last couple of years. It's unfortunate. I know last year he spent a ton of time in the training room. Like, he did everything he could to avoid it and it, it still crept up on him so you know we'll see if he can avoid it this year uh, on defense I've got two guys I want to point to um, Kingsley Jonathan I think is the overlooked guy on the defensive line I mean McKinley Williams is is frankly irreplaceable but we know what he brings Josh Black we know what he brings he thinks he's a perfect fit uh, for, for the end position in this 335 with the speed he has Kingsley Jonathan is not far behind I mean he's basically worked as the third defensive end behind Alton and Kendall the last two years. He's in the best shape he's ever been, and he's speed-wise probably not that far off from black. I think he's still a little bit lighter, but he has made a lot of plays during preseason camp, so he's someone who I wouldn't be surprised to see step up and, you know, and, and really imp- impress people this year. Uh, and then I'll say Steve Linton. I know he's the second-team strong-side linebacker right now. I wouldn't be surprised if he worked his way into the starting role. I mean, he's six-five, long, lean, fast. Uh, Aaron Service was raving about him in the spring, and you know what it's like for a tackle to, to, to try and match that speed if you're used to going up against a four-three end most days in practice. And this is it's a totally different animal. So you know the angles change and all that stuff. You know we'll see uh, how he does with his other responsibilities, be it coverage or, or be it being in the run fits. I, I don't know. But I think he has the potential to be syracuse 's best pass rusher this year. we 'll see how often he 's used and how they trust him, but um, definitely someone who I am really, really interested to watch because of his body type and knowing what Tony White likes to do when, when he has people who can do different things. Um, Bob, how much growing pain should we expect to see from the three three five? I mean we, we kind of touched on this already. S- some, <laughs> uh, it's kind of hard to hard to predict. Uh, anything to add, Julian, that we haven't hit on?
1: Um, you know, at least from a secondary perspective, um, there's only five to six actual coverages, right? One, two, yeah. three, four, and then all the other ones, five, six, seven. They're all combo coverages of the first four, right? Right. So, luckily. Uh, there isn't that much to learn on the back end of the 3-3-5. Three, three, and I think the most valuable part of that defense is, one, your secondary and moving things around on the back end. And then, two, how blitz-savvy are your linebackers? So if there's going to be growing pains this year, I think it's in that middle group, those semis, the linebackers. Um, well, I don't know about any of these guys. Uh, you know, I've heard some recruiting stories about Michael, Michael Jones and him being a good player. But I don't really know about these guys and what they can do at the college level. So if there's going to be growing pains, I think it's going to start up front. Um, I'm really interested to see how they stop the run game. Uh, Are they going to be relying on blitzes? Are they going to be relying on that fifth and sixth guy coming out of defensive backfield to to make plays? Um, Those are going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, But in terms of growing pains, I really, really expect a vanilla, vanilla defenses with very simple blitz packages up front and then a lots of cover three on the back. And I don't think there's going to be very many blown coverages because guys are just going to be playing back, making sure everything stays in front. Um, but growing pains-wise, I don't expect, you know, the what was it, Coach Ward's first year where this bombs away, things are yeah. going deep over people's heads. I don't expect that this year. Um, if anything, I think run defense will be a question. But right. if, if the linebackers step up this year, there's potential. Vanilla defenses are still very much ahead of offenses that are getting put in place right now so uh, there's there's going to be some opportunity but I think it's going to be on this this uh, this linebacker core and what they can do up front in terms of defensive line
0: yeah totally agree with you there Uh, James Brown since you played early on in your career Julian describe to us what it's going to be like and what's going to be going through Garrett Williams head starting at corner and knowing that Sam Howell will be targeting him all day long thanks excited you guys are back thanks James
1: Oh man, good question. So um, my first time getting real playing time was my sophomore year against Clemson. Um, I forget Keon had gotten hurt, and um, that week it yeah it was Clemson week. I knew they're going to throw the ball a thousand times, and I don't know if Coach Shafe like knew I was going to be a head case or not, but he just kept <laughs> saying, "Hey, they're going to target you all game long. They're going to target you all game long." But he was really smart with me saying. Um, they're going to beat you. They're Clemson. They're going to they have good guys. I think that was his mind game to get me like, no, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. And come to find out, I ended up – the way that our game plan was was to shift um, to cover two to my side to have a corner over top. Safety never came. And eventually I was just like, just go do whatever else. I got it. And, you know, things worked out. Like, But for Garrett Williams, his thing is going to be, know that they're coming for you, but if you understand defense, like, plays will happen I ended up getting my first your second interception uh against Clemson because I knew I, I was so prepared that week and so interested in proving coach shape wrong like hey I could do this and then ended up snapping on like play me more and it worked out so for Garrett Williams man it's just a matter of uh game planning and, and enjoying it there's going to be a lot of excitement getting into that first game um but it's a lot of fun and I think he'll recognize that right away and for him like it, it was a funny thing. Uh, every corner ahead of me, Keon, Richard, and Brent, their first target was a touchdown. First ever target <laughs> was a touchdown. It, 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 it was really crazy. And then I got in there and they're like, they're going to throw it to you. And I'm like, all right. Minnesota, they end up throwing a slant. I think it was like a 10 yard play. I'm like, at least it was a touchdown. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So for Garrett, I think th- there's going to be guys in there supporting him. Like, hey, man, don't worry. We got you. He's got all American safety behind him um there's gonna be so much opportunity to just go out there and make plays you're playing underneath chances are there's not gonna be many coverages for them to like get you out of man or something so it's a matter of just understanding the defense he's playing in and then having fun with it so i expect him to do well man it's, it's a good matchup for him and uh you know he's got the size go out there and make some plays man
0: yeah i will say to his credit you know he was he was working with the team all last year he was not a scout guy he yeah. uh, i think worked his way onto the twos i, I he might have gotten some work, work with the ones at the end of the year. I don't remember, but there's a there's a bunch of young defensive backs who are fighting to be that fifty B in the lineup, and it certainly wasn't given to him. So I'm excited to see what he brings. I know he's, he's a pretty long guy, and I'm sure they're going to go after him. So it, it will be exciting. Um, Doc Vernald, how much of a difference will it be for the players playing without fans? Does it matter to them? Thoughts? Yeah. It,
1: it, it. So I'm trying to think we'll – situation where there are no fans um you know what we used to have uh in the spring this little like syracuse uh what was it called Stephen? you were there um the spring showcase yeah the spring showcase right uh, not the spring game it was always like before that though right. um, and there were there was a few fans allowed to come but not very many, but we put the uniform on and everything um, I think games are gonna be very similar to that where it's like a glorified scrimmage feel yeah. but the game matters. So somewhere between a glorified scrimmage and an actual game should be the feeling. And what happens then is the game is going to be sped up in some aspects, but much slower in others. So I think it's going to be faster for guys, again, closer to the ball. The more you have to think, because there's no outside noise. There's no outside noise. So you're not really caught up in the moment. Your emotions are pretty settled throughout the game. The crowd can't sway you any. Um, So that's going to be taken out of it, which, I think it's the more fun aspect of college football. But it's going to feel like high school to these guys, for a lot of them at least, where there weren't big crowds, but you're still out there trying to make plays. So my thinking is, again, for the guys close to the ball, it's going to be really fast, much faster than it typically is. But the farther away you are from the ball and the less crowd noise in terms of communication and all that, that you can just process it, go back out there, and it's going to be a lot like practice. So it's going to be a lot slower for them. So it's going to be really – this is actually kind of cool. You've got yeah. two different speeds being played. You've got one speed played on the inside where everything's much faster, but then on the outside, very slow game. I think the tempo is going to be conducive to even young guys out there, young freshman receivers or corners. So, yeah, just to make the Garrett Williams point again, like it's going to all feel very similar to practice for guys on the outside. So if teams come up and they have issues in, internally with their offensive line or defensive line, which you know happens to be Syracuse this year with the offensive line, um, yep. That may be a problem, but uh, the speed of the game, at least for most teams going out there, I think it'll be faster for young guys, big guys, but on the outside, you know, very slow because the crowd won't be involved this year.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know if it's been publicly said, but like there's going to be crowd noise pumped in and I guess the coaches mm-hmm. have to agree to like the decibel level. So I don't know how that's going to compare to like the actual, what it would normally be for fans. Right. So considering Syracuse opens on the road for two games, that could be beneficial if that decibel level is low. Like if you're Carlos Vettorello and you're, you know, trying to snap the ball and get everyone set and do everything. And like a a frantic play, you don't, if it's not as loud in there, maybe it's easier to, to, to find that headspace. But, again, I don't know. I don't know how loud it's going to be. I don't know how much schools will be able to get away with. or they checking the decibel level? Or, you know, Dino's going to want it as loud as possible
1: when the other offense is on the field. Yeah, yeah, that, it's so interesting. I wish there was, like, studies on this to, to, like, prove it. But you can feel the emotions of a crowd when you're playing. Sure. whether you're on, whether they're for you or against you. And then however you interpret that, if you were like, all right, you know, F these guys, or it's like, yeah, like we're all in this. Like you, there, there's a lot of, uh, you, can, you can feel that. And a lot of guys ride that wave. I'm sure um, when 2016 in, I'm sure Dungey used it. I'm sure like there, those moments where the crowd is involved and you can feel support, it just makes the game that much easier for you to play. And without that, when it's just even simulated crowd noise, because we've done that, before. like teams do that, like when we play Florida State, and they pump that uh, stupid oh, sound or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, at that point, it's not even, it doesn't bother you so much that it's just annoying, yeah. right? And crowd noise is the exact same way. You can make it really loud, but there's no emotion towards it. So it's not that, affa- it's just noisy and annoying, right? So. Uh, It's 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 really interesting in terms of like how how much they want to pump it or not because if it's low and not you know that effective the best thing is communication and the guys that need to communicate the most are young guys and guys on the offensive line which again is really helpful to see keeps this year.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes and what kind of gamesmanship occurs there. Um, Willin, how much of a drop off in talent is there at the running back position with the projected top two guys opting out? You know, I thought Juar was going to play a lot this year, so I think he'll be on the field more, which is good. The big question is, like, how ready is Markenzie Pierre? Because he might get some more early down looks. Uh, he might be someone who you trust a little more in pass protection, got a more durable frame to take on, the volume needed to run the ball on a tempo offense. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He was a really productive high school running back. His senior year he ran for 2,500 yards and 31 touchdowns, so – that's nothing to scoff at. I mean, I don't care where you're playing. He was, he was playing for Liberty High School in Kissimmee, Florida. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I think it's going to really come down to Markenzie. I think they know what they have in Jawar. He's going to make some plays. But I don't think you like giving him the ball 25 times a game just with his frame. It's, it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, one more name to watch, Cooper Lutz. I heard he was looking pretty good early in camp. I know he got dinged up a little bit. Uh, he's a high school running back out of Pennsylvania. They put him in the slot the last two years, and now they've moved him back to running back. And I, I think he's a good fit there. So I think there's some drop-off. And I think, in particular, who is kind of going to be the power back is a good question. I don't know. Does, does Chris Elmore move back from guard to, to deep? running back. The goal line. I don't know. Crazier things have happened, obviously. I mean, that would almost it would almost be like the, the expectation at this point, right? I mean, maybe Markenzie, um, but I don't know. I'm interested to see what they do in short yard situations because Jarvion was very clearly that guy. And, and Abdul was also quite good at that given his skill set. So that's kind of what I think they're lacking now. Um, moving down the list, question about the offensive line. We've really hit on that. Uh, Turnpike Mike by position group is Cuse better than UNC anywhere besides secondary. There's nothing that immediately comes to mind. You know, they think the defensive line is maybe comparable. I think Syracuse's defensive line believes it's proper. I think they are a little bit overlooked, probably because people don't know about Kingsley Jonathan and, um, you know, Cody Roscoe, the transfer from McNeese State. We'll see what they have in him. Uh, they got some backups who they like: Drew Tuizama, Caleb Okachukwu. I think Syracuse feels good about its defensive line, and, and I know the of the three units on UNC's defense, the line is is kind of outwardly viewed as as the lowest of the three. So that would be what jumps out to me. But like when you're a 22 and a half point dog, <laughs> it's you're really stretching to to find those kinds of matchups. But you know we've talked about it. We don't really know what to expect. You might have a town advantage, but if you keep getting exploited the same way or, or, you know, you can't execute or you find some schematic issue, like that, that can be outweighed. I think you're going to see a lot of adjustments early in the game, um, especially on defense. I think once, once teams see what the, what the opposing offense is doing, you'll be able to key in on what you think works. Whereas I think we talked about vanilla game plans. I think there'll be a lot of scripting for the offense, at least early on, just so they know what they're doing. And then maybe after the first quarter, you'll see Dino and Sterling Gilbert, maybe the first two or three drives, try and attack something that they've seen once they have a large enough sample size. Uh, Last question from Cuse Zone. What position group worries you the most and which do you feel the best about? Well, I think we can agree that the offensive line worries us the
1: most. Uh, which position group do you feel the best about, Julian. Secondary, not even because I played in it, uh, just because of the talent that they have back there. Um, like I said before, they got three NFL guys with Troy Trill Williams, Andre Cisco, and uh, Iffy Millifant. Like, they're all going to play in some capacity on Sunday. So uh, the fact that that, that being true, uh, I think the secondary is going to be a real strength for Syracuse this year. Um, the idea that the defense is going to be probably very vanilla, um, is an advantage to the secondary because they're just going to play their base coverages and make it look pretty and then go out there and play. So, um, yeah, I think that if the secondary can really hold up this year and communicate and um, help their linebackers out, I think they have a, a major advantage uh, this year against some offenses that are going to be, much, be- or much farther behind than they are. So, um, yeah, I think the, the second is is an advantage, and obviously the offensive line is a place where Syracuse is going to really focus on this year.
0: Yeah, I think the answer was obvious. I didn't want to totally dismiss the question, but the offensive line is clearly the worst position group, and I, I think the secondary is clearly the best. You know, Garrett Williams is a little bit of a question mark, and uh, mm-hmm. Eric Coley as well. You know, we've, we've seen him play last year and the year before that a little bit, but, you know, they've, they've got a couple points we're not so sure of, but those three stars are so good and then manufacture so many big plays that I don't know if there's really a contest. Uh, I think Tommy DeVito hopes he lifts himself into that conversation, and uh, he's, he's pretty clearly got a chip on his shoulder um, after everything that happened last year. So uh, you can't put him in there now just based on the lack of opportunities, and, and frankly, Sam Howell's a very good quarterback, and Trevor Lawrence is, is obviously remarkable. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty clear-cut. I actually do have a couple more questions I forgot. some anonymous submissions which we will accept from time to time. Uh this actually we just talked about jarvion Howard seems like a huge loss any insight into his motivation uh a, a little bit but not enough that I'm comfortable enough sharing it, it's such mm. a personal decision that what a <laughs> what a guy tells his friend who tells someone else is the reason why they might have d- done something you know what i mean it can kind of just get yeah watered down. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for Jarvan cause I truly don't know exactly what the motivation is, but uh, I think there's a lot of good reasons not to play football this year. I'll just say that who replaces him as the power back. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Chris Elmore, maybe they bring in some other lineman, um, or maybe it's Markenzie Pierre. I mean, it's not yep. that Markenzie is small for that. It's just, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily what's viewed as his strength, um, it's a good question. It's a really good question. Um, and you know, do they, do they go back to their traditional heavy package with the lack of productive linemen that they have? I, I'll be interested to see what they do in the goal line. Uh, and then we've, we've heard a lot about offensive line injuries, but on the flip side, any indication of how service Bergeron, Tisdale and Carlos have looked, uh, like I said, Bergeron has been great from what i've heard as, as as far as growth he is the one who i think has taken the biggest step uh, i think they know what they have in service he's put on some weight um he's very reliable left tackle he's, he's not perfect but he's of their issues you know he's he's not someone they're, they're focused on and from a leadership perspective i think he as well as tommy devito and andre sisco have done well to keep a lot of the madness inside the locker room because there are a lot of players who are on a lot of different pages during camp. And, you know, they, they sat out twice as a team for two days each. And I know there were some really tense conversations and uh, it seems like there is a pretty good level of focus going into the season. So credit to him there. Uh, I, I don't, I'm interested to see how Vettorello does. Um, you know, I think the, the questions is, is going to be his snapping consistency, uh, particularly in tense moments. Other than that, I, I think he's physically in, capable of doing everything they ask of their centers. I mean, he, he proved that last year, and just having him there allows you to put service at tackle. Uh, and then Tisdale, what kind of condition is he in is, is, is my biggest question. Um, I, I, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they rotated the three guards. I think that makes the most sense, especially because I, I want to say if you have an injury, but it seems like when one of those guys gets hurt, the other two will will be ready to to play full-time snaps and maybe conditioned for it if you've given them enough weeks. Uh, we got anything else here? And finally, does the lack of depth in the offensive line make coaches consider slowing down the pace simply because you can't afford to wear down your horses? Uh, good question. I mean, we kind of talked about it. I I think Dino's going to have to pick his spots. I think there's going to be times when, when it benefits you to go fast and times when you decide to slow down. Uh, Tommy has kind of said that he's got a, a little more decision-making power in – adjusting the tempo of the offense like if he wants the ball he's a little more comfortable calling for it you know maybe if he sees a defensive back out of place or or just anything they think they can exploit um which eric dungy you saw got really good at his senior year so i don't know i mean you talked a little bit about slowing it down maybe be being a detriment to how you've built your program i think there's truth to that uh do you kind of have an, an expectation on on how often they should go fast and, and how often they
1: should slow it down um that's a good question. Um, I think the, the situation should dictate it, right? Yeah. Like, say early on, uh, early in the game, you're you're comfortable in where your offensive linemen are in terms of their uh, their conditioning. So go fast. Is it productive for you? Is it working? Okay, keep keep going to it, and then slow it down in particular spots, right? Say you're in a goal line situation. Maybe you want to tempo it here. So I'm sure. It, it, it actually, now I'm you know thinking on the fly here. It's likely to be game plans. Like if we're in between. Sure. Uh, the 30s. We're going to speed it up. But once we get inside of the fringe area, inside the 35 or whatever whatever they call their fringe area, going into the end zone, maybe we slow it down a bit. Maybe we want to take our time here and pick our spots because it's a little bit more difficult to work inside of a more confined space. So uh, I'm sure there's going to be areas that dictate where they want to use speed or uh, situations where they want to dictate their speed and what they're doing there. So uh, that should tell them uh, how they want to because you can't just keep your on the gas the whole game. That's how you get your guys injured. That's how you lose, you know, the line that you need. Uh, so they're going to pick their spots. And I think that there's going to be um, some variables that determine whether or not they're going to go fast in one situation versus the other.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I admittedly don't know what all of those variables are. I'm interested to see mm-hmm. what they do. And, and you talk about wearing down the offensive line. I mean, the flip side of it is when you try and go fast and you don't move the ball, your defensive line gets tired. So, you know, it can, it can, it can snowball pretty quickly. Um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, in a year like this, if you can go fast productively, the, the benefits would be even larger, right? If the other, team, mm-hmm. the other team's defenses doesn't have depth and they're hurt and they're tired and, and all of those things uh, and prone to making more mistakes. So it's a really good question. I don't know, obviously, we don't have the answer to it, but I'll be interested to see how, uh, how Sterling Gilbert and, and Tommy DeVito with kind of the, the increased control he has decide to manage that. Um, I think that's all we got. Thanks everybody for listening Uh, for Stephen Bailey and Julian Wiggum. We will catch you after the game. Thanks.